Will poor Shuggy escape this awful situation he is in? Will Agnes get better? I'm Roger and this is Bookshook and today's podcast is all about the second half of Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart. So the idea of the podcast is that we'll spend a month reading a book, hopefully together. I'll split the book into two halves and discuss the first half on the second Friday of the month and the second part on the last Friday of the month. I'll be sharing your thoughts and mine, asking loads of questions, discussing ideas, making predictions, and we'll decide what type of person we'd recommend the book to, if at all. I'd love you to read alongside. Of course, you don't have to read anything at all. You can audible or just listen to the podcast since I will be summarising what happens. But be aware, there will be spoilers. The book also deals with very adult themes, so please do check the content of the book before proceeding. I have edited out all swear words to keep the podcast within the not explicit category. Apologies to the author. You can leave a comment or start a conversation at the Bookshook YouTube channel or send an email to bookshook at yahoo.com. I love reading your comments. Welcome to Bookshook. So this podcast is all about the second half of Shuggy Bane from chapter 18 to the end. So Shuggy is now nine years old and Annie, a girl from the caravan park, rescues Shuggy from being beaten up at school for acting like, quote, a puffy little fairy. Anne is 10 years old and she says she has touched boys and Shuggy denies it when asked whether he has, but it's clear he has been forced to touch much older boys. Poor Shuggy witnesses his mother trawling through the phone book to shout at people who have wronged her, and he also witnesses her put her head into a gas oven. Agnes brings, quote, uncles home who provide her with drink and she with sex. Jinty, who's the next door neighbour, suggests that he go to her daughter Louise's school, which is a boarding school for special needs children. Basically, Jinty wants him away from Agnes so that she can drink with Agnes in peace. Quote, Jinty hated Shuggy because his presence guilted Agnes into periods of dryness. If it wasn't for him, they could have left the shores of sobriety behind and forever sailed a sea of special brew. So for those who don't know, Special Brew is a type of Scottish alcoholic lager. Agnes goes to the St Dundas AA meeting. Quote, It was a fresh start, she thought, and hopefully a better class of alcoholic. And George, the leader, talks of, quote, Ego sum in flammis tamen non adolebit, which means, I am on fire, I do not burn, it's St Agnes's lament. He continues, quote, Like petrol, it fuels the demons in you. It burns you away to the very devil. You go up in flames and everything you touch, you destroy. Everyone you love steps away, steps back from the fire. Money burns, families burn, careers burn, reputations burn. And then when it's all burnt, you still burn. Flames are not just the end, they are also the beginning. For everything you have destroyed can be rebuilt. From your own ashes, you can grow again. Wise words from George. I really hope that Agnes takes them on. Agnes takes a night shift at a petrol station and then there's this, quote, red-headed ox that appears and this is a taxi driver. He seems relatively new to the job and Agnes goes on a date with him to a line-dancing type of bar sort of they, where they play lots of American music. He's a Catholic called Eugene. So she's doing a great job at the moment of staying away from the booze. Eugene tells how his wife died of cancer. And there's a couple, Leslie and Leslie, and that's E-Y and I-E, who appear. And 
a bombshell is dropped. It would appear that Colleen, who is this quite antagonistic next-door neighbour of Agnes, is Eugene's sister. What a small world. And he says, quote, Colleen McAvaney is my baby sister. In a Scottish accent, I'm sure, which I'm not very good at, I'm sorry. When asked whether she slept with Jamesy, she says no. Quote, to her, it wasn't sex, it was something worse. And Agnes says, quote, If Colleen told you that I am such a disgrace, why did you come tonight? And he says, When I saw you, I wasn't looking. I didn't know of you then. Hadn't heard our Colleen lift your name. That's women's stuff, isn't it? They don't talk to the men about that. Gossip, telling tales, chapel. That's their club. All I know is when I saw you sat behind glass, I saw somebody lonely too. And I hope we might have something to say to each other. His lip trembled. I realised then I don't want to be alone. Eugene takes Agnes on a hot date. She gets all dressed up only for him to take her to, quote, the devil's pulpit, which is a gorge of geological interest. And Eugene apologises for bringing her there. And Agnes says, quote, I suppose it's been a while since either of us were at the courting. Does it show, says Eugene, rubbing the dust from his brogue onto the back of his trouser leg. He dug a piece of red rock out with his thumbnail. He squeezed it tight till his knuckles blanched white. I was only a lowly miner, but I bet if we squeeze this long enough, it'll make diamonds. Agnes laughed. She unclasped her evening bag and tilted it towards him. Why didn't you say so? Now you're talking. It sounds like Eugene has a tough life with his kids, but he doesn't mention this to Agnes at all. Shuggy and Agnes steal roadside flowers from the fast road to Glasgow and plant them in their garden. And the McAvaney children bully Shuggy. They say, quote, we puffy dafty, we puffy dafty, over and over. It really does appear that Agnes is a changed woman at this stage. She's given up the drink and she's got a job. Quote, Inside, in the shade of the cool bedroom, Shuggy scowled on the edge of his bed. He had been skulking since that morning. Look, you can't sit inside all day, Agnes had coaxed. The sun will soon be away for another year and then you'll be sorry. She'd spun around, swinging a trowel like she was mental. She'd looked as happy as he could ever remember and he was surprised how this hurt. It was all for the red-headed man. He had done what Shuggy had been unable to do. Agnes looked like the goddess of all roses. Her shoulders and face were flushed bright pink from the summer sun. Her rosy spider veins from the years of winters and drinks shone on her happy cheeks. It was like Disney himself had coloured her and brought her to life. A fleshier, smokier snow white. And Shuggy teaches his mum some dance moves. Quote, Shuggy kept dancing. It was a self-conscious shimmy now. His hands burst open like fireworks and his head flicked as if he had long, sexy hair. He dipped and popped, using his hips too much for a boy. He emoted along with the song like it was a grand opera, not a three-bar pop factory hit for 13-year-old girls. And I'm thinking, who is the narrator here? Who is saying, quote, using his hips too much for a boy? Answers on a postcard, please. If it's the narrator or the author, then I don't think it's good enough. Every time we have a scene with Sugar, he is accused by the narrator of being, quote, too girly. I want to see another side to Sugar. He's only defined by not conforming to these masculine ideals. Rant over. What do you think? Am I being unfair? I've never read Billy Elliot or seen it, but from what I've read so far of this book, it does remind me quite a lot of Billy Elliot, especially this bit with the dancing. Anyway, the McAvaney girls opposite are watching Shuggy dance and laughing at him, so he decides to stop dancing. His mum says, quote, If I were you, I would keep dancing. 
Don't give them the satisfaction. Just hold your head up high and give it your all. She was no use at maths homework and some days you could starve rather than get a hot meal from her, but Shuggy looked at her now and understood this was where she excelled. Every day, with the makeup on and her hair done, she climbed out of her grave and held her head high. When she had disgraced herself with drink, she got up the next day, put on her best coat and faced the world. When her belly was empty and her weans were hungry, she did her hair and let the world think otherwise. It was hard at first to start moving again, to feel the music, to go to that other place in your head where you keep your confidence. It didn't go together, the shuffling feet and the jangly limbs. But like a slow train, it caught speed and soon he was flying again. He tried to tone down the big showy moves, the shaking hips and the big sweeping arms. But it was in him. And as it poured out, he found he was helpless to stop it. Yes, Shuggy, you show him. That's a real punch the air moment. And then a party is thrown for Agnes being off the drink for one whole year. And Shuggy says to Eugene, quote, Mr. McNamara, I won't like you if you disappoint her. For a while, Eugene said nothing. The strange little boy had stunned him to silence. You know, son, maybe it's time you thought more about yourself. Leave your mummy baby for a while. I can take it from here. You should get out and play with some weens your own age. Try to be more like the other wee boys. There we go again. Quote, be like the other boys. Not anyone has said, just be yourself. Agnes has said, stand up to them. And we're all waiting for the climax of the novel where everyone says, permission to be yourself, Shuggy. Let's hope we see that. Anyway, the party ends with Eugene heading to get more fares for the night and Agnes taking a couple of Valium. Now it's Shuggy's 11th birthday. His dad gives him some football boots and when he leaves, Shuggy kicks them away. Quite right too. He leaves six cans of special brew in the birthday bag for Agnes. Quote, if she didn't have a man, then he wanted to know why she'd stopped bothering him. She had hurt his ego in an unexpected way. And Shug comes into the house and surprises Agnes by saying Catherine is having a baby and Agnes tries to conceal her shock at the news. Quote, and this is Shug speaking. We Peggy Bain is flying out there, you know, to support her when the bairn comes. Times like this, he added cruelly, you need your mammy, even if a mother-in-law is all you have. Peggy is Shug's sister-in-law, rascal's wife. What a nasty piece of work to say that, hey? Eugene takes Agnes to a fancy restaurant and he's very naive about alcoholism. Quote, I don't mean to bring it up again, said Eugene awkwardly. It's just, I'm trying to understand, I suppose. But, well, have they people, you know, the people at the AA, told you when you would get better? And Agnes says, they tell all of us that we will never get better. At least, she added, looking at him directly, not in the way you mean. And Eugene says, if we made a go of this, don't you think that would keep you off it? And Agnes responds with, I don't think it works that way. So Eugene says, with me in your life... What would you need a drink problem for? Drink is only for the sad, pitiful people. Look at you now. Look at me. The pastel jumpered couple at the next table made a distasteful cough. Eugene lowered his voice again. Look, all I'm saying is, I like you. I think you're that smashing. Eugene was unwilling to admit defeat, and Agnes could imagine he was a man well used to being able to fix any object that was broken. It made her feel like an engine left corroding on a front lawn. I've edited out all the very, very rude swear words that Eugene says. Eugene is constantly ordering booze in her presence and saying things like, quote, you don't have to if you don't want to. He's so blind. Eugene persuades Agnes to have some wine to prove, quote, she's normal. She ends up getting blind drunk and Leek and Shuggy are so upset with worry. 
Continuing the narrative, Shuggy is now 11. Agnes sends Shuggy with beer to give to Colleen on Hogmanay. He doesn't, but he sips a bit. He is so hungry. Agnes goes out partying for Hogmanay. Shuggy finds out where she is and orders a taxi to get there. She's out in Germiston at Anna O'Hanna's. The taxi driver physically abuses Shuggy until Shuggy says, quote, You might know my father. He's a taxi man. He discovers his mother under a pile of coats. She's possibly been attacked. Quote, her pretty pollies had been ripped from toe to waist. I can't help feeling that this book would have been better to be called Agnes Bain. It's all about her. Things just happen to Shuggy with no consequences, whatever. Whereas what happens to Agnes Bain seems to have very real and important consequences. Now, I do know that Shuggy is a child, but still... He almost seems to be a vehicle for the narrator's mute frustrations against the world. Let me know what you think. Shuggy has to collect Agnes's benefits money. He should be at school. They go together to buy some food, but they end up with 12 special brew. Agnes thanks Shuggy for, quote, his help today. And Shuggy says, I'd do anything for you. I think this is the end of Agnes, surely. Shuggy discovers Leek on top of his mother, yelling, call an ambulance. She's hurt herself badly. So she ends up, unfortunately, in a psychiatric hospital. Big Shug took Shuggy away, and Agnes is angry that this happened. But Leek does say to her, quote, before you cut yourself, you must have phoned him and told him to come get Shuggy. It all happened that fast. I couldn't help you and help Shuggy. Leek exhaled upwards, and his fringe rippled like a curtain in an open window. It's too much, Mammy. I can't be the one to save everybody all the time. Shuggy arrives at Joni and Shug's house. Quote, as the boy crossed the front door, he noticed with awe that they had stairs in their house, two separate floors, that alone would kill Agnes. Do you remember? She craved for a front door, and we can imagine her craving for these stairs. Six of Joni's children stare at poor Shuggy at the table with absolute hatred in their eyes. And Shuggy stares at his father, Shug. Quote, he tried to surreptitiously soak in all the details of his father. He knew almost nothing about him. And while the others ate, he stole sideways glances at the man and wondered why he tolerated these other children but had left him. Shuggy doesn't go to school. He is told he can go anywhere but be back by dusk. He wonders if his mum is still alive and was she missing him. Agnes goes to Joni Micklewhite's house and doesn't get in, so she throws a dustbin through their front window. And then Shuggy sees her. Quote, There in the front yard, smiling, stunning and mostly sober, was Agnes Bain. The boy wanted to scream, Goal! He wanted to run a victory lap around the scheme with her. It's interesting that he's using a footballing word. He hates football. Joni is bad, but is Agnes much better? Poor Shuggy. Agnes finally gets her boy back. This is Shug speaking. Quote, I know what's good for the boy. His lip curdled under the bristles of his moustache. You can't look after yourself, never mind him. Look how twisted you've made him. In her stocking feet, Agnes bent over and folded the boy in a deep embrace. The buttons of her good coat scratched at his face, but he didn't care. He choked her middle and tried to bury himself back into her flesh. His bottom lip started to tremble. It protruded and rose like a heat blister. Agnes put her thumb gently on it and kissed the pale skin above his left ear. Her words were as warm and easy as the fair fortnight sun. 
Shh, we've been greeting in front of them long enough. Not here. Don't give them the satisfaction. She drew herself to her full height again, somewhat diminished without the black heels. She looked up at Shug and the grotesque chorus that longed to do her damage. Sometimes you don't even want a thing. You just can't bear anyone else to have it. Without another word, Agnes took Shuggy's hand and led him out of the gate. The BMX boys were still screaming for blood. Agnes raised her hand to quiet them, but they took it as a salute, and then the whole street broke into a cheer. Go on, missus! By the time they got back into the taxi, her boy was mute and staring up at her like she was an apparition. She cupped Shuggy's face with her painted fingers and turned his gaze out to the low house. Get a good look. God help me. You'll never see him again. As they drove away, she held his chin. Shuggy watched his father struggle to push the Micklewhites back inside the hallway, as if he was stuffing an unpegged tent back into a bag. Now there was a deflated roundness in his shoulders. All the gallus swagger of the past few weeks was gone. As they left the scheme, the BMX bikes circled the hackney, soaring and diving like little starlings. Agnes pulled the boy into her side and he clung to her like a limpet. She held him tight for a long time and tried to ignore the scent of another woman's soap on his hair. He let her cry, he let her talk and he didn't contradict her when she made him fine promises he knew she wouldn't be able to keep. We can see it from so many sides. All these characters are flawed. This is what makes it a realistic and dense book. Continuing on the narrative, Eugene stops seeing Agnes. He says, quote, I don't like you when you've got a drink in you. Agnes wants to get away and do a, quote, house swap. And Leek and Agnes have a big argument. She demands he leave. As he packs his things, he says to Shuggy, quote, You are the man of the house now. You have to look after her. Shield her from her friends. She'll never get better. Continuing on, Agnes and Colleen argue. Agnes tells Colleen that she had sex with, quote, her man, Jamesy. And Agnes, you can see here, making terrible decisions. Francis McGavney and his sisters try to lure Shuggy out with bullying words from his house. Then we have a scene where Agnes is eyeing up things to buy from a catalogue when they make it to the city. Quote, Shuggy watched her and said under his breath, Why can't I be enough? But she wasn't listening. Agnes says she'll give up booze when she gets to the city and Shuggy doesn't believe her. She gets mad with him and pours all her remaining alcohol down the sink. Quote, No more drinking for me. I'm not saying it'll be easy. And that's the best thing about the city. No one will know us from Adam. And you, you can be like the other boys. We can be brand new. Continuing the narrative, they do arrive at the new flat in the bustling city. Quote, Shuggy hooked her hand in his. It felt small to him all of a sudden. She was wearing every ring she still owned, but despite the chilled metal, he could feel the nerves and the clammy want in her palm. Let's promise to be brand new. Let's just promise to be normal, he prayed as they held hands like newlyweds. There's so many rings in this novel. Agnes immediately starts drinking and Shuggy goes to the secondary school. And the teacher uses sexist language in the class. Listen to this. Quote, Let's go for the record, and then you can all get back to talking about your earrings and perms and that, he paused. And that's just the boys. This teacher is just terrible. Shuggy gets bullied for, quote, sounding posh when he uses the word enrolment. Quote, Listen to that voice, said another boy with tight curly hair. He opened his eyes wide like he had hit the bullying jackpot. Ear, posh boy, where'd you get that accent? Are you a wee ballet dancer or what? 
I've removed all the swear words. This is one bad teacher that allows this to happen and allows the really bad swearing to happen. Shuggy says, quote, it was clear now nobody was going to be made brand new. Poor Shuggy constantly refers to a magazine of outdated football scores, which he thinks might make him normal in some way. There's a boy, Keir, who's a neighbour. He sets Shuggy up with a girl called Leanne. Shuggy does not want to make out with Leanne. Instead, they both discuss the sadness of living with alcoholic parents. Continuing on, Shuggy is now nearly 15. He comes home from school, hungry, asking his mum for some food, but there isn't any, and it's all been spent on booze. And the older kids have been stealing his school lunch tokens, so he's so hungry, he contemplates stealing crisps. Quote, four or five packets, he thought, and then neither of them would be hungry anymore. His mother ends up calling him a taxi and shooing poor Shuggy out of the house. This is possibly him leaving home for good. He gets a taxi to Leek's tenement. A taxi comes to the door with custard and Agnes's telephone and Leek believes it's a sign that she's going to end it all. And Leek says to Shuggy, take yourself home. The police find Agnes walking by the Clyde. Shuggy cares for her as she sleeps, but ultimately she takes her last breath. So poor Agnes, she never did defeat the demon booze. But now Shuggy is free. We go into the final chapter. We're back to the time and place of the opening chapter. That's 1992, South Side. Agnes is cremated. Shuggy and Leanne meet with Leanne's mother, who is a homeless drunk. She strips her of her dirty clothes and gives her some fresh ones. The novel ends with the hope that he and Leanne may go dancing together. Wow. So I just want to go through some of these ideas that we saw in the first half. Again, poverty is such a huge element of this book. And drink, obviously, and violence against one another and religion. We get more descriptions of Shug's rings. Quote, he watched the light catch the gold of his rings and thought how his hands looked better after a week in the sun at Joni's caravan. And we have more of this idea of sex as payment. For example, Shona to the ice cream man, Gino. Another theme that continues all the way through an idea is the idea of predominantly females not being very nice to other females. For example, quote, waitress looked down at Agnes at her like she was a pest. And then we've got Leslie saying about Agnes, not realising who she is. Quote, that place is going to the dog since that colliery shut. I heard all about the Valium nonsense. Oh, and I heard all about that alky whore that moved in across the street. She turned to Agnes, expecting some solidarity between women. In my day, the chapel would have moved someone like that along. It's no right having a woman like that amongst good families. And then Colleen is horrible to Agnes as well. Quote, Eugene only came to you in the night because he was that embarrassed by you, creeping around like a thief. That's why only taxi drivers will have you, isn't it? So they don't have to be caught by your side in the daylight. And another idea that we have a lot of is this keeping up with the Joneses. When Agnes says she wants her own front door, and then we've got that quote about the stairs, how Shuggy thinks that her mother would be very, very jealous of these stairs. And then the coin meter on the TV. Quote, Shuggy noticed that it didn't have a coin meter. Wait till I tell her that, he thought. 
We've got a lot of jewellery again. Jinty St. Christopher's medallion. Quote, Shuggy had Jinty on the floor and a St. Christopher medallion was broken at the lock. When Leek later asked him what had happened, the boy could only remember twisting her big toe till it cracked. It wrenched and twist until her knee buckled and she fell screaming for mercy out of the chair. And then we have quite a lot of sexism as well. We had that teacher, but also the narrator seems to be quite sexist. Listen to this. As the mum is leaving, Shuggy, quote, showered her cheeks with kisses until, giggling like a schoolgirl, she had to push them away and check he hadn't ruined her blush. That's the narrator. And then I've mentioned already about the religion, Catholics and the Protestants. Have a listen to this. This is towards the end of the novel. This is the Anne speaking. Quote, why do you speak so funny, she said without smiling, the wrinkles still on her nose. What school do you go to? The girl stepped further out into the daylight of the close and Shuggy realised her face wasn't actually dirty but covered in a thousand beautiful freckles. Her raisin eyes still shot about, taking him in suspiciously. Um, I go to the school up the road, he said. That proddy dump? Yes. The girl sighed and the wrinkle fell off her nose. Too bad. I go to St Mungo. It's for Catholics. That's okay, says Shuggy. My mother is a Catholic, so I'm a half I suppose. A thin smile spread across her lips. Doesn't matter around here. My brothers would skim me if they knew I was going around with a dirty orange dog. So ultimately, I think this is a novel about escape. Catherine escaped, Leek escaped, and now hopefully Shuggy has escaped the ravages of drink. Shuggy says... Quote, this is towards the end of the novel. Shuggy says to Leek, quote, Why did you never come back for me? Leek took his eyes from the television and met Shuggy's stare. He hooked his hand around the back of his brother's neck. That's not fair, Shuggy. How am I meant to raise you? What have I got? Besides, you're still lying to yourself. Look at you. No one can help you but you, Shuggy. I mean, think about it. Think how long it took for me, and in all that time, Kath never once came back for me. Ultimately, Shuggy finally escapes. If the title had been Agnes Bane, the overall feel of the novel would have been far too bleak. By calling it Shuggy Bane, I think the optimism in Shuggy's final dancing steps somehow makes the novel more palatable. Does that make sense? What do you think? It's certainly very bleak for a number of reasons. Firstly, Agnes gets better for a while, but unfortunately she was tipped over the edge again. We can see the hope of getting better but in Agnes's case, it just didn't happen. And then we've got those unresolved issues, the touching that Shuggy is forced to do by Johnny near the bins and the taxi driver. And the narrator or the novelist doesn't provide any form of retribution for these characters. And in a sense, that is honest to life. But it's difficult to swallow as a reader, I find. I'm used to closure on these difficult topics, whether positive or negative. And we just don't get those, which is not a fault of the novel at all it's just the way it's been written it's just very difficult i would probably not recommend this book to any of my family or friends unless i knew they were okay with reading desperately difficult material about alcoholism and abusive relationships it's certainly beautifully written what do you think who would you recommend the book to i'd now like to look at the book that I'm going to be reading next it's called Piranesi and it's by Susanna Clark. I really enjoyed Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell. It's a lovely cover, it's got a picture of a some kind of fawn blowing on two flutes. I'm going to read just a few opening pages and initial impressions see what it sounds like so here we go and the chapter title is 
When the moon rose in the third northern hall, I went to the ninth vestibule. And then there's a subheading. Entry for the first day of the fifth month in the year, the albatross came to the southwestern halls. When the moon rose in the third northern hall, I went to the ninth vestibule to witness the joining of three tides. This is something that happens only once every eight years. The ninth vestibule is remarkable for the three great staircases it contains. Its walls are lined with marble statues, hundreds upon hundreds of them, tier upon tier, rising into the distant heights. I climbed up the western wall until I reached the statue of a woman carrying a beehive, 15 metres above the pavement. The woman is two or three times my own height and the beehive is covered with marble bees the size of my thumb. One bee, this always gives me a slight sensation of queasiness, crawls over her left eye. I squeezed myself into the woman's niche and waited until I heard the tides roaring in the lower halls and felt the walls vibrating with the force of what was about to happen. First came the tide from the far eastern halls. This tide ascended the easternmost staircase without violence. It had no colour to speak of and its waters were no more than ankle deep. It spread a grey mirror across the pavement, the surface of which was marbled with streaks of milky foam. Next came the tide from the western halls. This tide thundered up the westernmost staircase and hit the eastern wall with a great clap, making all the statues tremble. Its foam was the white of old fish bones and its churning depths were pewter. Within seconds its waters were as high as the waist of the first tier of statues. Last came the tide from the northern halls. It hurled itself up the middle staircase, filling the vestibule with an explosion of glittering ice-white foam. I was drenched and blinded. When I could see again, waters were cascading down the statues. It was then that I realised I had made a mistake in calculating the volumes of the second and third tides. A towering peak of water swept up to where I crouched. A great hand of water reached out to pluck me from the wall. I flung my arms around the legs of the woman carrying a beehive and prayed to the house to protect me. The waters covered me for a moment. I was surrounded by the strange silence that comes when the sea sweeps over you and drowns its own sounds. I thought that I was going to die or else that I would be swept away to unknown halls. Far from the rush and thrum of familiar tides, I clung on. Then, just as suddenly as it began, it was over. The joined tides swept on into the surrounding halls. I heard the thunder and crack as the tides struck the walls. The waters in the ninth vestibule sank rapidly down until they barely covered the plinths of the first tier of statues. I realised that I was holding on to something. I opened my hand and found a marble finger from some faraway statue that the tides had placed there. The beauty of the house is immeasurable, its kindness infinite." So we've got these strange kind of tides coming in and out in this kind of castle-like cavernous halls with statues of females with bees crawling over their eyes. It's very strange. I'm looking forward to reading it. If you're going to be reading alongside, I'll be reading up to the end of part three, which is halfway. Thanks very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. The email is bookshook at yahoo.com, or you can leave a comment on the Bookshook YouTube channel. And if you want to recommend a future book to read together, do let me know. I look forward to discussing the first part of Piranesi on the next episode of Bookshook on the second Friday of September, and that's the 15th. See you then. Mm-hmm.